Are you looking to expand your mind? Do you like to challenge and be challenged? Looking to improve yourself and share your experiences professionally and personally? You're in the right place. Welcome to ScoutCast, Roasting Marshmallows, with your host, Rolf Surd. And we are live. Welcome to another episode of ScoutCast. My name is Rolf Surd, and I'll be your host. So, do you guys see my new camera setup? Uh, you can see my face a bit uh, from the top side, so I'm thinking uh, I need to replace, uh, like put it in another place, but um, well, for Your this face, episode, yes. it'll have to do. So today we're talking about some modern software development practices, like how does a company that does software development can do this in a, in a modern way. And, uh, you know, many teams that develop a product nowadays feel like it's a bit like building a spaceship, but only to be it, uh, for it to be launched into a black hole. You know, they're doing a lot of work to build something awesome and they never really know if it is of value to the customer, uh, you know, that it's built stuff that the PO says that they need. Uh, are they building the right thing the right way? That's the question that a lot of teams ask themselves. Uh, so there is building the right thing, which is probably an episode in itself as well. So we might uh, touch upon that later or in, an, in another future episode. And there is building the thing right, which we'll be focusing on today with the modern software development uh, uh, what does a modern software development company look like and what do they do? This is something we as four scouts help our clients with. And uh, in this podcast, we will discuss what this means for us and how we see modern software development. So today I'm joined by uh, only two guests. So we're, it's the three of us now instead of the usual four. But uh, I think um, these guys have a lot to say about uh, modern software development anyway. So uh, I don't think it's a big loss here. So Enhik, welcome. Thank you. And Arno, nice welcome. Here. Thanks, man. Yeah. So, uh, Anhika, you actually uh, have made a presentation about modern software development that we uh, give to our clients. Is that a is that a good place to to to, to start with, or should we uh, set no, it off so. a bit different? Well, I think we can start with the request, right? Like we get a request from our customers, or a few of them actually. Uh, like, okay, we are building a new vision, a new way of our company is going to look like. Mm -hmm. And can you guys help us out building this uh, vision of what a modern software development department should like? That's what the request actually came. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, we got together before Scout and we all tried to put our brains and then we figured out like, yeah, we know this is the wrong way. It's not about having a software department, but it's actually about having a software company and yeah. it's building this in a different way. So yeah, then we prepared this presentation to give to them and try to explain that is if you want to actually have a software that is based on a software company that has a department that is responsible for it, you are basically killing your business value and you are probably not get the best uh, results that you are expecting to get. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the starting point of this conversation. Uh, like maybe we can try to explain how we see it or at least how I see it. And then uh, yeah. I guess you guys can uh, chip well, in on that. I think it's a good idea to just elaborate a little bit why you think it kills the business value if it's split up. Yeah, so the way how I actually explained the, the talk was like, you know, software is starting mm -hmm. in a different fashion, right? Somewhere like with mathematicians and scientists and like uh, they were CVU engineers and they all did all these electronic computers and it mm -hmm. used to be just calculators. And then eventually, if you let's say you forward a bit and then you go to the NASA missions when then, then we had the first programmers and they were like mostly women. 
and uh, there That's was the Apollo whole... uh, the Apollo yeah. space program, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. And then basically, the there was a lot of uh, permissions asked, like, okay, do I want to? Can I do this? Can I do that? And because it was set it up by other practices that we copied from other industries, because again, software development did not exist. Yep. And uh, and then we, that's where we came from, right? And basically the, the term software engineering came from this uh, first woman who was the first uh, programmer. And she was a bit uh, annoyed by everybody making fun of programmers because they were not engineers. So she basically coined the term software engineer yeah. because that's how we became uh, software engineers. Well, at least the name. Uh, and then time goes by, right? And then the, the industry changed. We have personal computers. Everybody's starting to get computer and then uh, games and then internet. Mm -hmm. So basically it changed the whole dynamic of things. But we are always we are always copying things from other industries like automotive industry or like building shoes and everything. Yep. And I think now we learn that this is not the best way to actually build software. And I think that's the the discussion we can have, like, why not? Why is this not the best way to build software? Why is this decremental for the value of a company who wants to operate with software? Yeah, because like for a lot of companies, like they have a physical product and they have an, you know, a way to build that product, make it or, you know, um, and then sell it. And then of course, like each discipline have their own departments. So why is software uh, different in that regard? Why is having separate departments, if software is your product, if you're having a service? Yeah, like, I, yeah. So I how, think, how... I think the, the, the first starting point is like, imagine like in the past with like Windows, right? Like yep. they had this flop disk, they built this whole OS and they had to basically record all the OS in these disks and then put it in a box with manual and distribute this across the world, right? So yep. fixing a bug there, it would be extremely costly. So exactly. that made a lot of sense to just, you know, let's make this as just like uh, building up a bridge, you know, because mm -hmm. we need to make sure that everything works well. Otherwise, the cost of fixings is going to be very high. Yeah. But the problem is we keep doing that, even though the industry changed. Now it's extremely easy for most of the products that we use nowadays. It's uh, they are on a web server somewhere in a cloud server or in their own data center. They do not have to distribute physical things anymore. Yeah, but I mean, yet we are still using the same practice as distributing physical products. Yeah, exactly right. Everyone knows that uh, you know updating an app on a phone is pretty painless, and uh, bam, you get some new features or some bug fixes there. <clears throat> so you don't yeah. have to go to the store and buy a box or a jewel case with CDs in it or or whatever. It's all seamless. Through the web. Exactly. And sometimes yeah. you don't even know, right, that this is happening. Like if you open your yeah. Facebook page or, or WhatsApp on your phone, like those things are there and they are all brand new and you have no idea yeah. what was happening in the background. But fascinating enough to me, we still decide to do the old way because, well, that's yeah. how so, we always done it, right? Why do you think the old way is bad then? It kind of makes sense to say, okay, I have a quality product and I'm going to push it to my people. Why is I, that the I don't think thing? it's bad. I don't think it's bad. I think it's just outdated. I think there is better ways of doing it. It, 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 it how to say, it decreases your value of learning, right? We have this assumption that, let's say if I'm building a product for you guys, you are my client, uh, you think you know what you want until you actually see the product in your hands and then you realize, oh, this is not actually what I meant, right? There is this whole miscommunication flow between like a customer and the company who is building it and the way how 
is organized in most companies that at least we work with, they have this whole thing as software as a department, right? So you first have a manager somewhere, then you talk to a proxy person, and then eventually at some point there is a developer there, and then there is a lot of hoops until it gets there. So the yeah. misunderstanding and the noise is quite big. So I don't think it's per se wrong. I think there is still uh, places for those, but definitely less. Yeah. And so if we assume that, uh, you know, the old compartmentalized way of working is, is, is a bad thing, um, how, how would it look? Because you cannot make one big department. Let's say you have a company of, I don't know, like 1,200 people. Like that doesn't work either, right? So no, correct. how would you structure a company to do modern software development where each of the disciplines are involved in a team uh, that's a good question. I think it's uh, it's also tricky, right? Because let's say we can look from the point of view of a small company. Mm -hmm. I think maybe it makes sense to start with a small one and sure. then we can overcomplicate it, right? But like, let's say you have a company with uh, 10 people and they are like three, four developers, right? So that's that's pretty clear. You, don't, you have one team, they all get the job done. That's quite simple, right? Yep. And then if we zoom in, the problem becomes when they all work independently in silos inside of their own team. So you have a backender, you have a frontender, you have a tester, and each one is just passing their half work done to the other. Yep. They are not working as a team, right? Throwing it over the fence, for sure. Exactly. Yep. And then I think if we look from this very simple example, I think that's where we actually start fixing the problem. Then, of course, we can make it a bit more complicated for the bigger one. And... And that's a part that I found it funny because we have seen this a lot. So these small companies with small developers uh, teams, they decided to do something like, uh, oh, let's go agile. And mm -hmm. they, they don't really know what it means. And then they decided to go and they saw that Jira is an agile tool. So they moved to Jira, right? And then they tell us like, yeah, I'm agile because I do Jira and I have a scrum board and uh, that's all cool. And then I think that's one of our biggest frustrations that is like, okay, this is not really the point <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I remember uh, way back we had a big ass jira board as well with a you know, bunch of issues and all that kind of stuff and then actually we had some guy coming in who just said like well screw this and he, he, he got a huge uh, cardboard yeah cut out basically yeah. it just started hanging sticky notes because he said that yeah jira sucks so <laughs> I don't know, like, do you guys prefer a low tech solution like that as well? Like just have a board with some stickies on there and let's just dump this whole Jira with the agile flows and uh, all the, well, most companies have like super custom rules and all this, you know, unusable Jira installations. Is that something you guys uh, are allergic to as well? Mm, I, I wouldn't say allergic, but I think okay. it makes sense to do. I, th I did it once at one client. They also use Jira in their teams and well, what you say, they start communicating with Jira and then you get to the discussions like the ticket is really long. It has to have all the acceptance criteria and then it goes longer, longer, longer. It's never correct, etc. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, I said, yeah, we're going to stop using it and we're going to use stickies. And we did that. And the first thing we noticed is that people didn't really understand the sticky. Like, yeah, there's four words, you know, what does it actually mean? Well, yeah. And then I just asked the guy, like, yeah. okay, how can you how can you find out? Yeah, talk to whoever. Okay, let's do that. And then you go open up the communication channel. It was pre-COVID, so it made it easier. And then you just yeah. walk to somebody like, okay, what does it actually mean? 
yeah. what it actually entailed. Exactly. So yeah, I think it helped actually quite a lot if you ditch Jira and just make a board with a few words on it and that's it. And just uh, start collaborating. Yeah. yeah so I think yeah. the, the, the Jira per se is not the problem, right? You can no. always say that, uh, you know, like if you are a gun believer, this maybe doesn't apply to you, but like, yeah, guns don't kill people, right? It's people who kill people with guns. Yeah. So I see kind of Jira the same way. But if Jira was not there, then this problem <laughs> maybe would not be there, but would be done differently. Probably. But it's like, I don't think, it, I, I'm all pro I, for the, the board as well, but physically. But yeah, I can understand that at least in Holland, a lot of people work from home and there is a mm -hmm. lot of this uh, remote work, especially with COVID, that is not a viable solution anymore. And I have seen... No teams that I work with that they actually took pictures and share, you know, that yeah. they constantly did this. Uh, if it works for them, I'm, I'm happy, but I, I also think I, I, I like it uh, to be on my computer that I can just yeah. drag and drop and doesn't have to be a physical thing. Yeah, but then I, I think the problem is that Jira on itself creates the flow of a problem. It facilitates yes. you to type there, work, to do yeah, all the things it, it, wrong. Yeah. And yeah. that's what I, what my problem is with Jira. If you go to Trello, well, I haven't used Trello for a while, but it was simpler. It's just like four words and then it's digital. It's also fine. My perspective. Yeah, it makes and too I guess easy that's to the, go to different flow, right? I guess yeah. that's, that's the, that's the problem that I have with it is that you usually like Jira, you know, you get added to the Jira board and you're usually not an administrator. So there's nothing you can do, nothing yeah. you can change. So that kind of sucks already. Um, and then, you know, the, they think of a bunch of custom flows like, oh, we need this extra step in order to really, uh, uh, you know, groom these tickets to be ready to be picked up by the developers. And like, you know, you have to jump yeah. through all these hoops just to get a story clear. And, and then, uh, you, uh, sorry? then you go in, uh, then, then after the story is actually being worked on, people comment on it, you know, like annotate yeah. somebody like, dude, read this. And I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> Exactly. Just and call then it, call the thing that's also, something. and the thing that's also a, a bit annoying, which is also not really Jira's fault, but I guess it's more like a, a developer thing is like when, when the story is ready to be picked up, then th these developers, like we said earlier, they don't really want to talk to the stakeholders of these, yeah. of these stories. They just want to be able, okay, it's super clear what I need to do. I can pick it up. I can, you know, put on a headset, start working and, uh, you know, deliver this feature by the end of the day. Uh, yeah, without really you know, talking to the one that uh, actually wants this uh, this new feature or functionality. Um, so they usually complain like, yeah, the story is not clear, the acceptance criteria is not clear, or it's too much, or it's too big, or... So it's definitely what Anik says, the way that you use it is, uh, is probably the bigger problem than the tool itself. Like, do you actually believe that developers, they don't want to talk with the I think, stakeholders? Yes. I think there are, I think there are developers, maybe, um, Maybe it's junior slash media. Maybe I don't know if it's, it's well. No, it's probably like a certain personality type that just wants. Okay, this is the, the task that I have. You know, I need to implement this feature, and I, I'm just going to bang away at it. And I don't want to actually talk or collaborate with these people today. I just want to have it clear and clear, cut and dry. This is what I need to do. Because I think my my hypothesis is actually that developers do want to talk to them, but mm -hmm. the way how company organized the IT department forbids them to do that. Actually, I think that is, in my eyes, that's what I have seen it quite a lot, is that uh, a lot of those, for example, workflows that I think you guys mentioned on Jira mm -hmm. that they got created, normally it's not even created by the team, right? It's created mm -hmm. by a manager, yeah. also yeah. called Scrum Masters, 
and then this guy just has to follow along because it is an IT department, right? So there is a hierarchical flow, there is managers, yeah. and there is, and then I have the feeling that the system made them be like that. But if you actually say, hey, you know, you have to talk to these people, and of course it's going to be weird in the first days, but it, I think they were actually like that. Yeah, I think so too. It's definitely something that might needs to be uh, encouraged by the organization yeah. rather than uh, discouraged. But uh, there's yeah. more to modern software development than just year, right? I mean, there are no, there a few, is. A but, few but more like, things. I think it's because then you trigger us in this uh, very yeah. flow of like so things that sometimes it. it's uh, <laughs> exactly yeah, don't use it. But like, maybe we I should like... invite someone from Atlassian to this podcast yeah. to, uh, to explain <laughs> oh, yeah. to us how to uh, how to use Jira properly. Oh, and they're going to say, right? We enable every way of working. You just have to pick what it works for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I like, uh, but like just link, not per se only on Jira, right? But like mm -hmm. there is this guy, Jeff Patton. He made the user store mapping book. Okay. And he talks like, ironically, we put stuff in writing to communicate more clearly and to avoid risk of misunderstanding. But way too often, the opposite is true. Shared documents are not shared understanding. So like we all experience this, right? Like it's almost yeah. the end of your job or let's say you're leaving the company or you're going on holiday, your manager or your team lead or whoever is in the position, look at you. Can you please document that? So uh, yeah. we don't lose your, your, your learnings, right? Yeah. I found this to be the most like fascinating thing ever because yeah. I'm going to speak to myself. Like if I write a blog post, I read it, I reread it. I ask you guys for feedback. I send to friends, I ask for feedback. I never, ever, ever put two thoughts over a documentation that I wrote in any job <laughs> in the past, right? It's just like, ah. And then I even put a Google Analytics in one of them and nobody yeah. ever opened it. So no visitors? I, no visitors. <laughs> I mean, myself. Yeah, you know, yeah, I course. go there from yeah. time to time. But it, it just feels like I, I really would like to understand where this belief comes from, right? Like, yeah, let's document this because people will read it when you help them. Yeah, but you guys yeah, I, I, I wonder, right? Like you have all these books in the world, like all this knowledge, and I don't think anyone can read all the books in, in, in no. their lifetime. So there are probably a bunch of unread books out there as well, but at least books get proofread and, and, and actually published and stuff. But yeah. then uh, probably there's like a multitude of unread documentation floating around on, you know, intranet or uh, yeah. in Confluence. Confluence pages. Another Atlassian uh, product. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you like, trying do, to uh, say something? Do, do you guys read <laughs> documentation? So, yes, myself, yes, for example, I actually do. I, I read, like, if, I, uh, if I'm going to use a certain uh, tool or a certain uh, library or something, if they have a decent, you know, get started documentation and some other concepts, like, explained in there, I like, I like to read those, those kinds yeah. of documentations. Yeah, yeah. But, like, the one when you join a team that they're going to talk yeah. about the product, do you also read all those documentation? Well... I actually had no choice, so I did that anyways, because I did the guy who I wanted to talk to was actually unavailable most of the time, but he writes documentation as a hobby, I guess. Yeah. And he had a lot of it, like a lot. So yeah, it, it helped me Well, if somebody's unavailable to talk to you, but he has documentation, it kind of grasps the situation the team is in or the problem is in. But yeah, the problem with documentation, obviously, it's you can, well, interpret it any way you want. And it's always outdated. Yeah. So, yeah. Does yeah. it actually help? That's a big question. But yeah, I, I do yeah. try to read it. So I, his analytics must be one. 
<laughs> and how is it uh, like how would you transform this to be a bit more modern in the concept well, of our modern software development i'd rather have him to talk to us and be in part of our team and just collaborate with us on the problem instead of yeah. throwing documents yeah. over the wall but this is the circle yeah. of influence sometimes you just don't have it right so you have no real option or you cannot break it break the ideas anyways yeah and i i find it like when it's a chore to do then it feels like it's useless right because i also had a job where each and every single story that we implemented had to have the accompanying technical oh, yeah. documentation where you actually have had to write like markdown files and like how it's put together so you did like a waterfall process to, in every ticket <laughs> yeah and then to, then to me it becomes uh, counterproductive it's like okay you know this is just you know an endpoint that you know grabs some data and writes a record somewhere else like you can just go through the code and see exactly what's going on but yeah. like it's it's duplicated in some sort of documentation that you have to remember to update each time you also update these uh, these these code paths here and there so uh I dislike those kinds of, of, of documentations, but yeah, like I said, some more high level user guide type of stuff. I, I do like to, I do like to read. Yeah. Yeah. So there is a place for documentation, but it's just sure. the term is way too broad, right? Like what documentation yeah. even means. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because like, I agree with Arne, I think the best way is talking, right? And I think that's why we are very fun of mob programming because mm -hmm. we basically work together, work together on the same problem. And there is no need time. to document to anything because everybody is there. Everybody understands the context. And yep. if there is a high level decision to document, then, well, we always do, right? But not this forced thing that every single thing you work on has to have a documentation. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. And so another controversial point, I guess, that we can maybe address right now is um, that, uh, you know, manual testing, like the old school QA person. Department can just uh, department yeah like uh, you know if uh, yeah if it if it were up to us like those departments would not exist right yes and why why is is QA in hindsight or like a QA department that does like testing and writing test plans and coming up with findings why is that a bad thing why is that think, not modern yeah I, I i see this in two ways right i mean i remember like uh, watching uncle bob videos and uh, reading his book and he had this saying i think it was him like qa should find nothing right it's like mm -hmm. it's a responsibility of a developer to make sure that whatever is the person who is going to test your code finds absolutely no mistake yeah so i think problem number one with a qa department or qa uh, responsible person for guaranteeing the quality is that you automatically makes your like you are placing the responsibility of one person into another so if I'm the developer on that team, I have to be responsible for the things that I'm producing, mm -hmm. the quality that I'm producing and the bugs that I'm not producing, right? But then the moment you put a QA, you basically say, hey, if some bugs goes through, that's your fault. Yeah, QA will catch it. Yeah, and yeah. I think this is the, the fundamental mistake with this whole setup. Is, but you is gotta admit like, that, it's nice, you know? I mean, of course it is like... nice. You, you take the whole responsibility of your hands and yeah. putting somebody else, but yeah. then you're creating a bigger problem <laughs> and what, in the what, future, of course. And what to me is interesting is that um, at least the QAers that I had, uh, you know, uh, the pleasure or displeasure of working with in the past, they sometimes applied their own opinions and their own assumptions on the stuff that they were testing. 
like yeah if i if i were the user i would find this unacceptable yeah, exactly um yeah. and i guess this 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 goes back to i guess having like clear uh, acceptance criteria and stuff like that but that definitely did not help me gain appreciation for the qa as a role and so. I think I had another one. I think they even have this joke, right? Like a QA person goes to a bar, ask Minos one beer, Minos nine 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 beers, Minos ABC beers, <laughs> and then they get no beer, right? It's like there is this whole concept of let's test what nobody is going to do it. And let's say even they do, I want a Minos one beer. Yeah, it's a bug. It's a problem. Why are we going to waste time with it? It's not a realistic scenario. So, of course, that's we're talking about probably QA engineers who are not, per se, savvy at their work or they are in the beginning. I think we're a bit, a bit too pushy. But I also find it hard, like this uh, unrealistic. I still remember my first job, the guy, uh, there was a text field that you should put your name. And it was a long time ago, right? It was like, I don't know, 2005. And it was mm -hmm. ASP.NET. So I just drag and drop an uh, input text, right, on Visual Studio. Yep. So the tester, what he does... Instead of putting his name or mm -hmm. a complicated name, he just hold the letter A, you know? And then what the yeah. thing did, it would increase the text box because there was no space instead of breaking it. And yeah. he was like, yeah, that's a bug. The layout broke because I hold an A for too long. And then I'm like, what are you trying to say? So basically, we are forced <laughs> as developers to create a simple, to not to say stupid JavaScript, that if the number of letters together was longer than 20 characters, because that was the size of the input text, a space should have been placed. And then I'm like, how is this valuable <laughs> at all, right? I mean, yeah. let's yeah. say even if your cat walk on your keyboard and that happened, so what? Broke the layout, refresh the page. I don't know. Yeah. It just feels like totally counterproductive to me. Generating work. Yeah, yeah that, exactly. Uh, there is a modern way for a QA person to still be valuable, right? I mean, I think so. you can definitely write automated tests because like one of the things of modern software development is definitely having your test suite uh, automated and sure this is uh, something a developer can do as well, writing unit tests and some other tests. Yeah. But I think there's still place for QA people in tandem with the development team, collaboration again, uh, yeah. to write uh, yeah integration tests or, or other uh, acceptance tests that really... Uh, yeah, complements yeah, the, the the work of of the rest of the team. So, so you if don't they think are that willing should be the to developer? I, I think a developer should be able to, um, but I don't see any problem if there's a if there's a QA person in the team who uh, takes upon in him to write automated uh, integration tests or automated acceptance tests that that are being written in in like I said in uh, as an addition to what the developers are already testing. Or I think, again, like in the concept of pairing or mobbing, right? Like yeah. a developer could pair with a tester and they are basically applying, well, behavior-driven development and TDD yeah. together where the test comes with the scenario and the developer just keeps implementing and they could be a nice pair, right? Like, yeah. I totally agree with you. Uh, I think it's always the dangers is that the QA becomes the bottleneck, right? Like in the sense of, well, developer built it and now it's on a QA lane and if the QA approves, and I think that's the part that should never be the case. I think right. it's, uh, yeah. once the developer is done with his work, it should go to production and the QA can do this in an asynchronous fashion, right? Like maybe he's going to do it another time, but I don't think it should be blocking. No, no, that's but why I, I say like in tandem, yeah. right? Like collaboration and just, uh, you yeah, know, work together. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And well, how do you guys see, like, because I heard this so many times as well, 
Like a developer cannot write tests because they are too biased by their own code and they're going to take shortcuts and they're not going to test what they know is broken. And that's why you need a QA person. Have you guys heard this one before? I haven't. It doesn't uh, sound familiar to me at least. But to me, they yeah, would like say that he, doesn't, he does write his code first and then test later. That's what it sounds to me. And if you do test yeah. development, this situation would not exist. But like, do you think as a developer, he doesn't have the capability to know how to write good tests because he doesn't think as a test engineer? I, I think that doesn't make sense. Because in the end, it's some sort of behavior you want to be validating. Either you write it in code or write it in a test, it's the same result. It should be the same result. You just prove it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think if it's the same situation, but I have heard, like I've interviewed a lot of developers uh, for Four Scouts as well, and uh, sometimes you ask this, and then some developers say like, well, this code is so simple, it's a one-liner, I don't need to test it. Yeah. Right, so that might be something that you that you kind of mean, right, Henrik? Uh, like, okay, no, what I mean was more like, for example, we I had this, uh, this customer, and then they had like three manual testers they mm -hmm. so we're basically like in this transformation to become a, like a more modern software development team and the first pushback it actually came from the product owner it was like yeah but i don't trust in the developers to take the corner cases you know they don't test their thing and that's why we need qas because they test all these corner cases that developers don't think about mm -hmm. because they are thinking about the code how to write better so and that was the argument like Testers thinks differently than a QA. And I heard this several times as well. But well, I it goes back to a bit of ownership, it. no? It goes back to a bit of ownership, I would say. Because if you push yeah, down yeah. the ownership of the quality, then yeah, it's your, not your problem. Then the trust from somebody else to the developer also goes down, I would say. So I think and it makes uh, sense. And some experience yeah. as well, I think, uh, because I remember when I wasn't uh, as good as a tester or like a test-driven development guy as I am now, um, it's definitely hard if you don't have a lot of experience with it to, you know, figure out what all the possible inputs can be and like what corner cases there are for you to test. Like sometimes you just don't yeah. know. Um, but I, I don't think, you know, putting separate QA in there is the solution. I think the no. solution is to, as a developer, to just really force yourself to just do the test-driven development. And then, you know, of course, you're going to miss a corner case here and there. But when that happens, yeah, you add a test for it. And then later on, you're going to think you're going to implement a new feature maybe. And then you think, Hey, this is kind of similar to, to that situation there. Let me add this corner case as well. Yeah. Because and, basically uh, the way how you yeah. describe, even mm -hmm. if you would add a QA and is a, uh, he's a junior, he would probably have the same mistake as you as a developer. So it would not solve anything. I think right? so. Yeah. 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 For sure. And in the long run, you get hit on production anyways. If that situation corner case actually comes through, then something breaks on production. You have to fix it as a developer. If that's yeah. also the case, right? If you break down that barrier and if it breaks, then you write a test for it. So, you know, it doesn't break again. Yeah. Yeah. So basically what we are saying is so far to compile in my head is about having ownership of your own responsibilities, right? Making it quite clear that is no longer responsibility of a tester to define quality, but it's responsibility of, well, everyone, but mostly the person who is actually doing the work mm -hmm. and, uh, well, you want to automate things because otherwise you cannot go fast. Uh, we want to talk to people rather than just write and write and keep doing Jira communication task things. Yep. What else? 
Yeah, so I think the, um, we've also maybe not, we have not mentioned it specifically, uh, but I think a lot of these things are focusing on the outcome, yeah. like at the, you know, the best possible value for the customer, for the end user of the product. So I think uh, modern software development should be focused on the outcome rather than uh, the output, so to say. Yeah. So the output being like, hey, uh, you know, I've... Uh, I've submitted uh, some sort of uh, DBA uh, upda uh, database update or whatever. Like these are just technical means to an end, but we really should be focusing on like what is the problem that we're trying to solve here, yeah. rather than making it you know technical exercises or you know adding extra shine where it might not be needed. Uh, yeah, so, so that's definitely something <clears throat> we've been uh, yeah, and, and that's what I well see a lot of the times where the product owner brings the solution in the team. Mm -hmm. and doesn't like the uh, discussion on it anymore or doesn't want to hear like or share the problem how do you deal mm -hmm. with that like how would you deal with that because i think this happens a lot yeah. right they bring in a feature and the guy just have to tick off the feature and then go to production and done that's what, yeah. what is expected yeah yeah so and then of course the first question is always why right like why are we doing this and then the product owner has to be able to explain it to the team i i think and if the product owner is tired of explaining it to the team because the team keeps asking why then maybe the product owner is not getting the point across to the team in terms of like the vision of the product or the roadmap of the product because if if, if the vision is, is is clear then it might be also easier to convince or convince i don't know if they need convincing but it might be easier to, uh, you know, to submit all these features to uh, to the Jira board or whatever board they, they might have. And then the developers might see like, okay, you know, this is part, this 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 feature is part of this vision where we're going forward to. And they, then they might not even need to ask why they're building it because the outcome yeah. is clear already from earlier communication. Yeah, and I guess it's also come from the point of view, like as you, explain very well i think they come they always come with a solution right and they think that's what the developers want or the tester or the team let's just use the team because there's more people involved but uh mm -hmm. and i think that's also part of the bigger problem right like a lot of product owners that i worked with they yep. don't actually understand about product they don't actually have the ownership of telling where the product should go or should and they are like only an organizer right they are just a proxy and they are yep. just basically taking order and he has been a waiter. I think that's the, the, the right, uh, or project manager. Yeah. Project manager. But in the end, he is just serving things from here to there, bringing here to yep. there. Mm -hmm. And that creates this whole gap that they can't answer questions. And I can imagine get quite frustrating for them every time. Like, Hey, I brought you guys to do this. And then you guys ask me why, and I have to go to ask them and they don't know why. And then we yep. keep going on this ping pong, throwing this guy or this woman like left and right. Yeah. So I think that is a is a pretty tricky job if you don't actually know what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's uh, that can be very frustrating. I can imagine. Yeah. And I think if they indeed would just focus on like what are we trying to achieve and let the mm -hmm. team figure out how to solve that, it would be a much easier uh, adventure. But then also that's required for you to trust your team, right? If you don't trust your team, you're gonna always try to say, "Hey, I want a solution." And I don't know, like in my head, I think the way how I always think about this is like, let's say you know, you guys all know me that I don't cook, right? So if yeah. I say, hey guys, come to that's my a house. Problem. Yeah, that's a problem, right? I don't cook. I don't cook well. I don't cook. 
And then if you say, yeah, let's have dinner in a Hicks house, you're going to probably not want me to cook. So you're going to just say, hey, let's have pizza at the Hicks house. Right? Problem is solved. You already brought a solution for yeah. a thing. Yeah. But if I actually, if you trust me, you're going to say, oh, let's have uh, dinner at the Hicks house. And okay, but what are we going to eat? And then, you know, all these questions are going to come. Are you vegetarian? Are you vegan? Do you eat meat? Do you like Italian? Do you like Chinese? And then you have a nice collaboration. And then in the end, we decide how, what, and things. But yeah. the point is, the why is like, yeah, we just want to get together, right? It's like, uh, so yeah, I but... think if you don't trust, you're always going to come with a solution. Yeah, but a pizza outcome sounds still sounds better, man. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I don't know, man. A barbecue sounds pretty good as well. Okay, yeah, that's true. That's, that's true. Yeah. And that's the thing, right? Like probably the solution that the product owner might bring might also be the right solution. And he just, or they just feel like, yeah, I don't want to go for this discussion. But the point is every time you don't do that, you mm -hmm. kind of go back backwards. And that's like you, for, you block the chance for your team to understand better what they are doing. And I think yeah. a modern software company or development, basically, you want to get your team as close as possible to the business, right? And that's how the whole domain-driven design concept comes to it. And well, everything that you do that brings those apart, I think you are going backwards. Not just that, but you also want to give them uh, the power to actually change something about it. Because yeah. that's where the feature teams come from as well, I think. The product owner could give a problem there but if they don't have the space to actually act on it then nothing changes yeah so you have a nicer discussion but it doesn't solve anything and so we've been talking about process a lot and communication and you know collaboration and uh, one more thing that i would like to just make a statement here is that uh, i think companies should just kill all email servers and just stop using email amongst like as an internal communication tool altogether, you know, with customers and all that kind of stuff. It's fine. I understand. But internally, let's just, uh, you know, let's just use Slack or, or something equivalent, right? Like, uh, let's just not why, why, let's why just stop using email. Because always what happens is that, you know, an email gets sent to someone, there's like 50 people in the CC field that don't even know why they get that email probably. So they don't even read it most likely. Um, and then later on, more confusion comes down the line, like, well, hey, I CC'd you about that problem. How come you don't know about this? And uh, I don't know. I've, I think it generates more noise than it, than it, uh, than it and, fixes. And why yeah. do you think Slack is a solution then? Well, because nowadays we're not always in the same office, right? And people don't work the same hours. <clears throat> so uh, I, you know, I think the best, of course, is to just walk to a desk and say like, hey, what's up? Let's have a coffee and let's have a conversation about this. Um, but I think, you know, if, if you're talking about modern software development, uh, I do think something, you know, enabled to, to, uh, to be used over distance with, you know, multiple groups or asynchronously would better. I'm not saying Slack is the best option. Like I'm sure that, uh, I don't know, Skype has a fine uh, a chat uh, option or Probably not. Okay. No, probably not. Uh, it's Microsoft, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm sure that there are multiple multiple options there, but uh, yeah, Slack is just the one that I know of. Like we use Basecamp as well a bit, but uh, I don't know. I think I like Slack a bit better. Well, I, I've used well, we've used Slack at the previous customer, and I experienced the same problem you had with the email. You know, there are so many things to actually keep track of that you don't really really know what you should be keeping tracking of. Mm -hmm. And then the amount of time it costs to actually go over everything, it was way too much. So you and then just I just joined... zone out and like, yeah, 
Just ignore join everything. Too much channels, then. That's the question, right? You get asked to join, or they want you to join, or you know, could be interesting. Yeah. And then you join, but yeah, in the end, it's it's just feels inefficient to go through everything, and then you miss the important stuff as well. So I think it has the same issue as email. Okay, interesting. So how would you propose? Is there is there an easy fix? Probably not, right? Otherwise, it was already Jira, invented. man. <laughs> Oh, yes, of course. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't think. I think it's like I. I can agree with Rov and I can agree with Arno. And I think it's. Uh, it's not about like maybe a diff- the thing is like with emails is, I find it damn hard to read. I found them extremely complicated to like reply. Right, there is some sort of like a formality yeah. automatically, yeah. you know, in it. Yeah. And then at least with Slack, I can feel it informal. But I think the question is more like if it is important. Maybe shouldn't be discussed either Slack. one of them, right? And uh, the question is more like how you decided something and how you write your decisions down. Mm-hmm. It's probably what we are searching for here rather than well, uh, because, yeah, if it's like simple conversations, like, you know, you share your weekend or I don't know, like there was a bug somewhere. Yeah, I, I don't need to read it. And I actually really, and I really do that. Every time I come back from holiday, I delete all my emails without reading them. Because if it is important, it will come back. Yeah, you know, if it is not, then yeah, I didn't miss anything. Yeah. So I think we put also too much importance in these emails, in these uh, Slack messages. If it is really, really, really important, I would probably get it in a private channel, or I didn't need to be there in the first place. Yeah, yeah. So one of these things is that I might be a bit too too, uh, too in depth now, but I like to mention it anyway. It's like. I used to have Slack and use it as like some sort of reference guide. Like, oh, we had this discussion before. Let me search in the channel or yeah. search for this person, like for a certain keyword. But I found that that in the end doesn't work either to go through like a bunch of Slack history. So, uh, you know, I, I could agree with you that you know anything older than a week, you just, just delete all that crap, right? I mean, it's probably yeah. not relevant anymore. Um, and we've been using Notion actually, right? For, for these uh, kinds of things. Yeah. Uh, but Notion has problems of its own. Uh, that's you know kind of slow, I guess, as well. And it's still documentation. <laughs> it's still documentation online somewhere that you need to keep up to date. But uh, yeah, at oh, least it's for, a bit easier to find what you're looking for. That's yeah, the, and I think that's for thing. podcast management is working pretty well. Yeah. I don't know about for the other things, but uh, for that, yeah. it's so, so far, far so been good. a success. So, um, yeah, and let's uh, move on to a few more technical thing about modern software development, because like a lot of this stuff is about the people and it's about the process, which, you know, probably is 80%, right, of the, of the, of the actual work. So that's super important. But there's also a part where it's just about like the nitty gritty, right? Like about the code, like pipelines, uh, cloud ops, all this kind of stuff. Um, what 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 would you guys? We already touched upon it a little bit with the automated testing, I guess. Um, but what what would you guys feel is like essential if you are a, a company and you want to move towards modern practices? Like, what's the first thing you should start doing next to the automated testing? Because that's probably number one. Yeah, you already mentioned it's the pipeline, one hundred percent. You need to yeah. have an automated pipeline to do and what? To... Preferably go to production yeah. in within ten minutes. That's my preference. So, so for the people who don't know, like this pipeline, what, what, what is it going to do? It's going to build, test, verify, and deploy to production your product? Uh, so the way how I see is basically it's going to be an automation of everything you need to do manually in order to be in production. 
So yeah. manually is quite heavy to do it, right? So that's why people tend to do once every three months or six months, depends yeah. one year, depends on which product and which way, how you work. But once you have a pipeline, it's basically doing that every single commit, right? It's a concept of CICD that yeah. ev you integrate with your, your whole code with everyone in your team all the time. And the idea is to do everything that you do manual, automate them and let the pipeline be the guide. You was going to say like, Hey, this is green or this is uh, yeah. red. The pipeline is yeah. your QA department is your delivery department is your everything basically. Yeah. And, and basically that was a uh, kind of stolen from the lean manufacturer, right? Like they have this forgot the name of it. There's a court that if something is wrong on the process, they basically stopped and then they fixed yeah. the problem there because they realized that it's actually easier and cheaper to fix it on the spot than leave it at the end. So yeah. the pipeline is the same concept. If there is something goes wrong, the pipeline breaks and the whole team goes and fix it because if they do that on that time, the context is in their head, they can talk to people about it and they can fix it and move on rather than in three months time because yeah. everybody's going to forget what was it about. And they're not going to find in those documentations or in those Jira tickets. And then, yeah, there is a lot of, so for me, the pipeline is like number one, like you cannot go without it. Yeah. And this, this goes back to your example of, you know, back in the days, development of a software product where you had to write the code, create the product, package the product, manufacture it, whatever, and then send it off to the store. But yeah. if you have an automated pipeline with a, you know, test QA built in, so you can go, you know, deploy and ship your product several times a day, yeah. then all of a sudden, like all these, all these limitations of like, oh, we need to be a hundred percent sure that we're shipping the right thing. It like, it smooths out, right? Because if you do make a mistake, then, you know, you can fix it and be up and running in, in 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think the other thing that Arno mentioned, the uh, going to deployment extremely fast or maybe every time a day, multiple times a day. I think mm -hmm. it's a huge, uh, change in behavior because when I remember when I saw it the first time, I was like, Oh, this is scary. You know, like this cannot possibly work. And then you go around and then suddenly I didn't write tests. I was like any other developer. Uh, and then eventually when you know, like, Oh, if I do this, that's going to production. And then yeah. you start thinking like, Oh, what can I do to make sure that I do not break production? And then you go back to, oh, yes, I heard about this thing called testing that I never practiced. And then suddenly you get into it because it forces you to take a total different stand that there is no more like a QA person or a code freeze time or somebody mm -hmm. who is going to take the blame for you. And I also agree that it, it is a harder thing to introduce. But once it's there, I think is one of the biggest changing behavior of uh, people or the team. Not just that, I yeah. thought that was a relief in the long run, you know, it actually put a lot of pressure away. Like the whole yeah. concept of going to production, that was such a weight, weight on your shoulders. And right now it's like, yeah, you yeah, just yeah, go 50 times normal, a day. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. one of the misconceptions about it, I feel is that people, uh, companies who don't really do the practice, um, think like, okay, but each time we do a release, something breaks. So releasing 15 times a day, it's going to break 15 times a day and it's going to be yeah. slowing us down. But in fact, the opposite is true. If you're able to release multiple times a day in smaller batches, your, uh, your speed does not only increase, but also your quality increases. Yeah. And, uh, I think it's a, yeah, it's a win-win situation for sure. If you uh, manage but to incorporate it in your stack. People and still I have to remember it it's still going to break. Production Maybe, is still going to break. But that's the thing. 
it's going to decrease the number of breaking. Not just that, you also like, fix it for 10 minutes. Yeah, and that's the thing, like you can now introduce this things like uh, zero bug policy. If you have a bug, you fix it automatically. It doesn't go to your backlog, doesn't go to your triage. It's just a bug, yeah. you fix it because you're going to yeah. be done in 10 minutes. And uh, But I think like that's from a, let's say, developer point of view kind of perspective, right? I, I can see all the benefit, but like mm -hmm. another benefit that people don't really consider uh, is how much it will influence uh, product owner choices or priorities or even customer, right? Because if yep. like before they were expecting three months, so you waste a lot of time trying to figure out what was going to be the best Tetris game you're going to play, you know, like changing your planning. What yep. in the end, if you think about it, it doesn't actually matter because if you're going to release in three months time, if you do it on day one or day 31, exactly the same effect. So they wasted way too much time doing those uh, planning. Where if you think about like, oh, actually, if you if I give this task for you guys today, well, tomorrow you are done, right? And then you start thinking like, oh, then actually makes sense to reorder everything and actually yeah. just start delivering, getting the yeah. feedback quicker and see if we are going the right direction. So actually your bets uh, are much smaller. I actually had it one time where I did, well, the company was a bit split up. One team was doing more like Scrum, etc. We were doing Kanban with continuous deployment. And this uh, marketing uh, chief came in and he wanted something to be done. And he just dropped dropped it with us. I'm like, yeah, okay, we can do that. And he gave some assets, etc., to do. And yep. we just did it in 30 minutes because we thought like, yeah, we can do this right now. Then we're done and that's okay. And he came back in like yeah. after an hour, like, oh my God, guys, what did you guys do? I was expecting this in around two weeks, you know, take it <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah, but this we is a like, nice yeah. bridge to my next, uh, to my next point, right? Because uh, it does force you to also introduce something like a feature flag where you, because every commit goes to production. So everything you build is instantly available to customers where you sometimes you, you don't want to, uh, to have it yet, right? Yeah. Uh, you want to yeah. hide it or, or however you want to call it. Uh, so then you can use feature flagging. So I guess your uh, your sales guy should have uh, said like, "Hey man, put this behind a feature flag so I can enable it when we uh, when we need it." Right? Yeah. Yeah, but or he was just expecting it in two weeks because that's the normal behavior, right? You go in a scrum maybe, yeah. and then they have to do it, have to deploy yeah. it in the two weeks and the end of the sprint, and then you go through the whole cycle. Yeah, we didn't yeah. have that. <laughs> yeah, and it yeah, I mean uh, it's definitely uh, uh, helpful for uh, A/B testing and stuff as well, experimenting new features. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I see just only only benefits with uh, yeah, like the possibilities CSP. are endless, right? Yeah. So it's just like you open a lack of opportunity that you did not have before, yeah. and it, it changed the whole dynamic of the game. And that's what I also think it's uh, a modern software company should do is then instead yeah. of let's say making bets. Uh, for really long term, they can mm -hmm. make bets and validate in a very short terms, and they actually can do a lot of them. And then, because a lot of them are going to be wrong, and then it's going to be cheaper, right? So I think yeah. there is also this other concept that is, uh, well, if we put something into production, the customer doesn't like, we failed. Well, mm -hmm. I think you actually succeeded because you know now there is no point investing on this idea anymore. And I think a lot of companies and products, they invest in this feature fallacy, right? Like, oh, only this new feature is going to make our customer happy. And they just keep adding and adding and adding, and they do not check that. Yeah. So I think that's also what a modern company does. They monitor their progress. They monitor what they are thinking, what they are doing, and if it actually makes sense. Yes. 
and that's also the problem yeah. right if you have a long process of getting anything to production to the customer then yeah if you invested a few million euros in some sort of feature mm -hmm. it's going to be painful to actually consider it well to kill it and consider it a failure exactly yeah i actually read this um this tweet uh, collection on twitter this morning uh forgot the company name but um they spent 10 million bucks developing a product um, and in the end they were beaten by uh i think it was asana or something and they also had like the fallacy oh just wait until they see this new feature then all of a sudden yeah. you know the product will start generating money and then the guy just kept pumping in money after you know week after week after month after month so uh yeah there's definitely something to be said for validating your ideas quickly and just pulling the plug when it's when you you know when you cannot validate your uh, your business uh, idea so and yeah just one more thing on that because like what i found it also interesting is like I, I i read this sentence once like the most useless thing to do is do something perfectly that should not be done in the first place right. i don't remember who said it right but then for me it's like this is the whole idea of like you work in the old way right like okay i have three months releases or whatever and then i do all this betting and i keep sending code to developers developer to qa and then the problem is you cannot measure your progress. So you have to figure yeah. out a different way to measure your progress. So people come with story points and they come mm -hmm. with estimations. And then they say like, yeah, our burn down shot is going well with this sprint, but like the customer has seen nothing. So now they are wasting a valuable amount of time trying to figure out how to measure productivity, where the only yeah. productivity that it matters is that your product is actually going to the way to reach the outcomes, right? Either making money, making users satisfied. So. Yeah. And then I see teams investing a lot of time in trying to become better at things that actually is irrelevant. And I think that's the whole point, right? Like the only way to prove that it works is putting in front of the customer. And if you take yeah. too long to do that, you are basically creating so much waste around you that is uh, pretty sad. So well, yeah. and, and if you do that, there's one important <laughs> note, because that's what I miss yeah. a lot is actually, is that product owners should take the responsibility to actually kill features as well. And that's what I rarely see. Like they just add yeah. stuff to the mess and then in the end, nobody knows if it's used or not, or if people actually like it or not, it's just there. And your amount yeah. of cost for maintenance is going through the roof in the long term. So yeah. if you have a product owner that actually kills features, I like him. Please Kudos. talk to us. Yeah. <laughs> talk to us. So we've been talking a lot about, uh, you know, modern software development, which sounds, you know, super technical, geeky, you know, programming and uh, tools and whatever. But, you know, we've been talking for it about an hour now, and I'm sure we can talk for it, uh, you know, a lot longer. But what uh, is surprising to me, or maybe not so surprising, but, you know, it's not about actual programming languages, right? It's like, we're not even talking about, you know, C or Java or PHP. We're not talking about the code style or coding conventions or frameworks, like all of that stuff. It doesn't really matter, right? If the, the processes around it is modern, then the language itself matters yes. not. I think so. I, I, I definitely agree. There is a part of me who, who dies inside when I hear you telling me that because I have a developer background. I still code and... Uh, it, it feels like a bit uh, confrontational, like, fuck it. So you're telling me all the things that I care in the past, they are irrelevant. Tapes versus tabs versus spaces and uh, <laughs> how many lines in uh, characters in a line. And it, yes, unfortunately, it doesn't really matter that much. Of course, it matters in a specific context about if we're going to talk about like a 
clean code, you know, like being a proper, like a good developer. Like, yeah, I think oh, there's for a sure. room for those, for but sure. I don't think those are the main discussions to have. No, exactly. Like as a team, you do not have to really have a discussion like, oh my God, you know, we have to start using this new hip fancy language because, uh, yeah, the thing that we're doing is old and crusty. As long as you can be, you know, clean uh, and, uh, you know, productive with it, it's, it's, it's good enough, right? Yeah. I mean, you yeah, probably shouldn't. Problem better. Yeah. No, but I mean, you, you probably shouldn't be writing new projects in Fox Pro or anything like that, right? I mean, it has to be some sort of supported language, I'm guessing, but... Uh... <laughs> no, no, correct. But I think yeah. like, for example, I think that's normally when... Uh... I like a lot uh, Arno's uh, bluntness. Guys, that's a stupid discussion, you know, about uh, TS lint, TS lint, and lint in your code. Just put it in the pipeline and be done with it, right? And then it's like, yeah, yeah. It, it's useless. It goes nowhere. Yeah. It's, uh, it's just about talking preference, you know? It's like color green is prettier than color blue. Sure, yeah. for some people, for yeah. others not. So, like, automate it, make that uh, out of your way, and don't waste time discussing it because... But right. I, anyway, right, everybody's going to do it because... In a yeah. way, it's also fun. Sure. But if you want to have the discussion here, come to our podcast. Yes, yes please. <laughs> Send us a message at the podcast at Forcecast. Oh, wait, I'm too early. So <laughs> let's say I'm a, I'm a manager of a, of a company or a CEO or whatever. You know, I have a product and, um, you know, I want to uplift it to some modern software development practices. And, uh, of course, they can always uh, contact us. Uh, but do you guys have any resources for them? Any, you know pointers in the right direction maybe some books or uh i don't know uh some youtube videos or yeah or some I names think, uh, <clears throat> a lot actually so i will give one and uh for developers i would say definitely look at the continuous delivery from uh just humble and uh forgot the other guy name mm -hmm. i would say for product owners look at uh user story mapping from the guy okay. jeff nice. Payton. Uh, and for managers, I think it's quite important for them to just get out of the way. I don't think they need to motivate people. They just need to not unmotivate them. And I think mostly of them, they are on the way. Mm -hmm. So they should definitely start looking better at mob programming and, uh, you know, those kind of things. And to increase, they need to support, uh, to increase the collaboration yes. rather than focusing on the individual outputs, exactly. the team, uh, team thing. Yeah. Yeah, okay. and right now I don't per se have a book in mind, but I have a lot, but I can give an another podcast. Ah, oh, but two, uh, yeah. two is fine. Uh, yeah. One book a podcast is fine, right? Sure, yeah. done, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> but I do have another one. It's yeah. uh, oh. for the CEOs, CTOs, CFOs, whatever, C executive. It's called uh, A Seat at the Table. Mm -hmm. And it also right. explains quite well the, why you don't want to have IT as a department because it's a great destroyer of business value. So I would yeah. recommend that one as well. Okay. And I think for me, the book, uh, I would suggest to people uh, are the books from Marty Kagan. I think it's inspired and empowered. I think they're about empowering teams to actually move on their own. And I think that's what we're touching a lot Okay. in this podcast. And so uh, uh, yeah, man, I guess uh, I'll, do, I'll do the easy one. Accelerate by uh, Kim et al. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. For uh, yeah, anyone who wants to know uh, what the, the high performers in the software industry uh, are doing, that's a great, uh, it's a great read. All right, yeah. so uh, I guess that uh, I mean, uh, yeah, we have a lot of stuff. I guess we can still talk about, but uh, I think we should uh, keep it uh, at around an hour now. So if you guys have anything else to add, then let's uh, wrap it up for today. Now wrap it up. 
All right. So uh, today is uh, April 1st, um, depending, of course, like when you, but th that's the day that we recorded this, uh, this podcast. Um, and the reason that we're doing it about modern software development is because April is the month of modern software development, right? It's the theme that we're at Four Scouts uh, are having. So, uh, you know, if you, the listener, have uh, some, uh, some great tips for us or some advice or maybe even some questions about modern software development or uh, anything else that we talked about during uh, our podcasts, then uh, feel free to send us a, a text message on anchor.fm. You can see the message uh, button there. You can send us a spoken message. But if you're more comfortable just sending it in by email or Twitter, that's fine as well. That's uh, podcast at fourscouts.nl and Twitter is fourscouts. All right, Arno and Nick, thanks again as always. Great to have and you on the podcast. Sorry, but as a disclaimer, because you just mentioned it, yeah. everything what we said is not a lie or is not a fool's day, right? Or a joke. <laughs> it actually happens. So just a disclaimer that uh, you guys think, yeah, oh, bullshit, it's April Fool's Day. No, no. It. <laughs> it's no joke. That's why we don't release it on April 1st, right? We're going to release yeah, it right, a couple exactly. of days after. So uh, <laughs> just, to be, uh, just to be sure. Yeah. All right. Well, then the, that wraps it up for today. Thank you very much again. And see you guys later. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of ScoutCast, Roasting Marshmallows, with your host, Rolf Sir. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit 4scouts.nl and on Twitter at 4scouts. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time on ScoutCast, Roasting Marshmallows.